Hey, Anne, how do you get a bunch of Canadians out of the pool? I don't know, Liz. How do you get a bunch of Canadians out of the pool? You say, please get out of the pool. Oh, that's lovely. Anne. Yes, Liz. How do you get a bunch of Unitarian Universalists out of the pool? Oh, no. You start baptizing. Oh, Liz, <laughs> we do not insult the baptizing. That's not an insulting the baptism joke. That is a spiritual consent joke. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, we did this for the service, and Anne told me she was going to rebut my joke, and in timeless UU tradition, we have the joke, and then we have the discussion of the joke until the point that the joke is not funny. Right. So, my disclaimer about that joke was that we have many water rituals, and there are people who do baptisms within UUism, and that is a lovely, wonderful part of our tradition, but the joke is about spiritual consent. Okay. You don't just start running around baptizing people. All parts of your spiritual life have to be grounded in consent. No random That's baptizing. Right. And spiritual consent is funny. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sort of. Well, it's important. And, unless you don't have it, and then it's not right. funny at all. <laughs> so we started the service that we told you was going to happen that many of you were at with that joke. And then, and you're going to say about the next parts. Sorry. <laughs> it's a frozen look. Remember we said I always do the announcements and so you should do the announcements so that I'm not talking all the time? Sorry, I thought we were going to do these in nice little structured bites. First the joke, then the forward thing. Why did you think that? I, you know, that is a very good question. Okay, if you were at the first ever solo service, it went so well. You may want to skip this next bit because you've already heard it. This is the condensed version of the stories at the start of the service, but if you love them and you want to hear them again, stick around. Hi all, Editor Anwin here. If you don't want to listen to the sermon, skip ahead to 1940. Choice by Lynn Unger There isn't a right answer. There just isn't. The game show where the bells ring and the points go up and the confetti falls because you got the answer is a lie. The preacher who would assure you of how to attain salvation is making it all up. The doctor who knows just how to fix what ills you will be sure of something else tomorrow. Every choice will wound someone, heal someone, build a wall and open a conversation. Things will always happen that you can't foresee, but you have to choose. It's all we have. That little rudder that we employ in the midst of all the eddies and rapids, the current that pulls us inexorably toward the sea. The fact that you are swept along by the river is no excuse. Watch where you are going. Lean in toward what you love. When in doubt, tell the truth. It's all we have. That little rudder that we employ in the midst of all the eddies and rapids, the current that pulls us inexorably toward the sea. I am feeling pretty confident in saying at this exact moment in history that all of us have experienced that feeling of being adrift in the eddies and rapids of life. It's something that happens to every person at some time or another, and now amidst a global pandemic that clearly isn't going anywhere anytime soon, I feel safe declaring that we are all in one way or another being swept along on a journey we never intentionally chose. And yet it has given us this moment, this beautiful, powerful moment where more than 250 people, mostly strangers, have gathered together for worship. 
I'm here to remind you that what feels like the end, a loss, a struggle, is also a new start, a creation, or a reclamation. We're not defined by what we have lost. We will be shaped by the ways we choose to move forward. Nearly 20 years ago, a wise seminary professor asked our class, what when everything goes wrong, when your resources or your people are not available, when you find yourself cast adrift on the water, what do you cling to? What will hold you up in your most difficult moments? What is your life jacket? It was a more carefree time in my life, a new beginning, the start of my studies as I shaped a new future, and still the question challenged me. When everything goes wrong, because it will, when your resources or your people are not available, when you find yourself cast adrift on the water, what do you cling to? What will hold you up in your most difficult moments? What is your life jacket? For me, it was the truth. The truth as I best understand it, the truth that best informs my core integrity. I'd like to think that swept along, the truth would be my rudder, letting me know which way was best. And in the absence of certainty, the truth would be my companion. We could count on one another. We are bound together by curiosity and covenant. I know that in a polarized time, truth or truthiness, as Colbert reminds us, can be a complicated thing. It can be wielded as a burden, as easily as a tool. And I've learned in the nearly 20 years since that powerful question first came into my life that what we hold as truth can change, sometimes radically. So I continue to ask myself, and now I ask you, when you find yourself cast adrift on the water, what do you cling to? What will hold you up in your most difficult moments? What is your life jacket? Once upon a time, in the before days when people could get together in person, the Canadian Unitarian Council would host this yearly conference. The conference would conclude with a Saturday night worship service, which would generally be designed by a committee Designed by committee is rough under the best of conditions, and this was not the best of conditions. Every group had some assignment for the closing ceremonies. The board had to be installed, and the ministers needed to do a thing, and the kids had to show us the drawings they made, and the youth, and so on and so on. And basically, despite the best intentions of everyone, the ceremony was like a king-sized quilt of announcements with a couple of songs thrown in. And I imagine nobody loved this, but for me, it was psychologically painful. Sitting still and paying attention to stuff has never been my strong suit. And so I would sit in my chair and I would bounce and I would provide what I like to think of as quiet and insightful commentary until Anne would remind me about worship behavior. This was, of course, in the before times when you could not give free reign to your live commentary via the private chat function. So I would wait, wiggling. And at the concluding song, I would leap up and pretty much dance, which is not really okay for Canadians and especially not done among Canadian Unitarians, except at this one service. In this service, I was never the only one dancing. One year, as the closing song ended, we just kept going. And the pianist kept going right along with us and we took over the space. We wanted to worship. We had sat through the announcements. We had earned the right to worship. And so worship we were going to do and there was no stopping us this, Anne said to me when she could get close enough to speak amid the flailing, this is called spiritual rebound. And was it ever? We sang for an hour, maybe. 
People would call song titles out and the few of us who had hymnals would call out words and if we didn't have words we would make them up and if we didn't know the tune we would fudge it with what I will optimistically refer to as harmony. We ran out of favorite hymns and we just kept singing whatever music people wanted. We were out of control rebels singing whatever we wanted to sing. Towards the end of the night we were singing a zipper song about going down to the river to pray. To pray. I sang along without even making an announcement first about how I don't believe in God in the traditional sense, but blah, blah, blah. I just sang about praying. There was no commentary because whenever there was a need for commentary, we just spontaneously broadened the circle. Oh, brothers, let's go down, went the song. And then someone yelled, sisters. And so we sang about sisters going down. And then a whole group of people spontaneously yelled siblings. And we sang about siblings. And we didn't want the song to end. So someone yelled out singers, I think. Oh, singers, let's go down. And then someone else shouted out some more tender word that reflected personally where they were at. And then others started to follow suit. And it wasn't just nouns either. Adjectives started to crop up. Things like hopeful, Oh, hopeful, let's go down. We were so deep into it that we didn't even worry about the grammar. And as we sang specific verses for people, we started to reach out to them and touch them on the shoulder or the arm. This evolved over years. With the help of an attendee named Carly, the yearly ritual turned into just that, a yearly ritual. The CUC would make space for it, partly out of the desire to support us, and partly because the one year that they didn't make space for us, we had to leave because the cleanup crew was there. And so we sang our way all the way out through the halls and continued our ritual on the front lawn of the building. So after that, there was always space. (laughs) Every year, there would be an hour of singing, followed by down to the river. Brother, sister, siblings, singers. And then you could speak a word, any word, and you stepped into the circle of singers and whoever else that word spoke to would step in along with you and people would lay their hands on your shoulders and hold you in that center for as long as you needed. Oh, bereaved, let's go down. Oh, new mother, let's go down. Oh, transitioning, let's go down. And they weren't always pretty words. They weren't even always change words. Sometimes we just sang for people where they were. Oh, angry, let's go down. Oh, exhausted, let's go down, down to the river to pray. A few years ago, I got a divorce. Like many people who go through that, I felt pretty shattered by it. Everything about who I was and my place in the world and my family was all blown apart. And I sat in my new apartment on the nights I didn't have the kids and I journaled and I cried and I stared at candles in the dark in the early morning. I didn't know who I was. And my family was broken and I was broken. Over time, I did begin to realize that we weren't breaking, we were changing shape. And I began to hear who I was underneath the roles I was used to. I began to nurture this compass inside me. I knew where I was going and I was starting to be excited to go there. Underneath all the loss and the being lost. You know, when you get married, there is no being lost. There is a roadmap for that. There is a wedding which features more instructions and logistics than the invasion of a small country. And there's months of preparation. And then everyone comes over and there's this big party with lots of eating and probably drinking and you're toasted and you're celebrated and you're blessed and you're given all kinds of crap that you don't need. We don't do that for people when they divorce. Even though that's the time when you actually need the toaster. 
But more than that, that's when you need the blessing. I needed a blessing. I needed the moment to be marked in some way. The papers were signed, but it didn't feel done to me. The inside of me felt like that sound that Velcro makes when a kid in kindergarten takes off their shoes. And I needed my community to help me become a thing of my own again, to stop feeling like that sound. The conference was coming in May. I counted down the days to the singing circle. I carried my word, divorced with me across the country, through the conference, through the official worship service, through the hour of singing. And when it was time, I said, divorced into the circle, loudly and clearly and right from my heart. Did you mean someone kindly offered a different word that was something like, I don't know, independent or changing or something that was a kind rephrasing, but I didn't want a kind rephrasing. Divorced, I said. Oh, divorced, let's go down, they sang. And I stepped into the circle and I became divorced. I became my own. But not alone. Two other women stepped in with me because I wasn't the only person in history to get a divorce. I wasn't even the only person that year to get a divorce from this tiny group of worshippers. I was part of a great sisterhood, of a siblinghood, a community of people who'd gone before me. There's no map, but there's a path in the grass, and no two divorces are the same, but I was not alone. Hands gathered on our shoulders, and we cried, and we stayed in that circle for a couple of verses, held and blessed by the group. When we name a thing together, that's a part of making it real. That's what marks the end or the beginning or the little bit of both. It's always a little bit of both. In 2020, there was no singing circle. I sat at my desk during the Zoom worship and I cried and I imagined us together. I imagined voices in harmony and hands on shoulders and unselfconscious tears and hugs. I thought of my word for that year. It was home because I bought my first house that I owned all myself and because I was creating a home that was all mine in my new life too and I felt settled and I felt warm and I wanted to celebrate and I wanted to sing my word home. I've somewhat gotten over this. The joy of being home has worn off anyways at this point, but I have not gotten over not singing my word. I want to sing with you. I long to worship in a circle of bodies where we can touch each other and hug, and I want to hear all our voices singing together one word for the person in the center of the circle. I want to know what your word would be. I want to hold space for you. If we were together, what would we sing for you? as all of us laid our hand on your shoulder. If you were to move into the circle to mark a transition or a struggle or a joy or something that feels really alive for you right now, what would your word be? What would you take down to the river? For you use, as we know, the first part of any good ritual is the explanation so that you can decide what you're going to opt into. So here's what's coming. I can't lay my hands on your shoulders. I can't even do what we did in the Zoom worship service and have Anne read your word while we sing to you. So you're going to have to put in your own word, either singing along with us once you get the tune or before then, if you like, <laughs> if you're on your own, or maybe just holding your word in your mind. Also, there were copyright issues around the Down to the River to Pray song, so the song we're singing isn't that exact one, but it's better. We're going to sing a song that my close friend Catherine wrote just for this. 
very best to do justice to all the incredible harmonies and the amazing tune that she wrote. But a word about the singing. In the before times, there were choirs and such. And in our Zoom ritual, as with right now, the musicians are just members from my bubble that I was able to schmooze into singing. And so this is a homemade song, especially for you. It's not fancy pants singing and the editing was done by me and GarageBand and I am not a good editor. So think of it the way that you would think of a slightly misshapen homemade truffle or a home crocheted blanket that's not exactly fully a rectangle. We didn't have the skill to bring our vision for this song fully to life, but we sang for you anyways. Because this is the closest thing I can do to laying my hands on your shoulders. Oh, water, rocks, and trees, river where we take our needs, go down, come on down with me. Oh, siblings, let's go down, let's go down, let's go down to the water and bring all our needs. Let's go down to the water, let's go down. Let's go down to the water and bring all our needs. Let's go down to the water. Let's go down. This part has no words because some people and says need a minute to think about their words. So take a minute to sink down and think what's the word we would sing to you. If we were laying our hands on your shoulders. and trees, river where we take our need, go down, come on down with me, oh, let's go down, let's go down to the water and bring all our needs, let's go down to the water, let's go down. Let's go down to the water and bring all our needs. Let's go down to the water. Let's go down. Lay it down at the blue, all that you journeyed through. I'll stand at this edge with you. Oh, siblings, let's go down. Let's go down to the water and bring all our needs. Let's go down to the water. Let's go down. Let's go down to the water and bring all our needs. Let's go down to the water. Let's go down. So when people were putting their words in, I was singing and I cannot sing and read at the same time. That's why my lyrics are always wrong. So 
what was going on in the chat? Oh, it's so beautiful. So there were so many words popping up. And and when I read them during that third verse, it was so hard because you know how the chat jumps around when you're when you're uh-huh. reading. And That's why I, I was trying really chat. hard to hold it. But anyway, so, you know, we didn't get to say all the words, but there were so many powerful words and people resonated with your story like you had told the story about divorced and about being in a new home and things. And people were saying, me too, Liz, me too. All of it kind of in a forward motion kind of way. Yeah. That's what I hope. Well, and I think that's why we do these rituals, right? We do them not so that we can just all like name what's hard or stuck and stay stuck in it. We do it because we want to put them down somewhere. I love the ritual too, because it, balances the I need the support and I need to name what's broken but it does it in a moving forward way like I remember during that time in my life and I was like I'm so broken and I was like I want to call Anne because she'll be supportive in my brokenness and then I was like well no because that will just encourage me to remain broken <laughs> and I need to be tough and start accomplishing something there there stuff to do there, there. <laughs> and so and then I remember calling you and being like, no, but I need to get on these projects. There's a lot to be done. And you saying, you're the project. Right. I'm so glad I took that time. And I'm so glad I had that ability and opportunity to do that. But one of the things that I've used as my own metric to tell the difference between I am recognizing and wallowing in this sorrow as a way to get through it. And I have gotten into a pattern where I'm stuck in the same circle is, am I doing the same thing over and over again? So if I'm taking a thing to you and telling you I'm so sad about blah, 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 do we have the same conversation every week about blah, blah, blah? Because then I'm right. in a circle. Or am I laying it down and you're helping me and then I'm in the next step? And I'm glad that it had a feeling of forward momentum. You're looking, I at, am your looking phone at my phone in the middle of my bearing my soul. Because it reminds me, can I tell the, can I tell the autumn leaf ritual story? Okay, yeah, so... Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, but that's because you weren't listening to me in the conversation time. But who, you know, nice, nice. Um, so this this Facebook message popped up in my phone, and it's from Darker Shade of Pagan, and it's called a Maybon ritual, and it says, "Collect falling leaves, write an autumn intention on each leaf, then string together the leaves to make a wreath or garland. Review your leaves come winter to see which ones came true." Give the ones that did back to the earth. Burn the ones that did not while saying a small prayer for spirit to aid you on your quest. So this excited me so much. And so Lori and I went out and collected leaves. And of course, we didn't follow the rules exactly because we're Unitarians. So we (laughs) strung each one on a little string and Lori is um, orange and I'm purple. And we hung all our leaves on this little uh, artificial birch tree we have in our living room. And it is so pretty. But what I loved about this ritual is it's forward moving, like you're setting intentions mm-hmm. for the fall, but it also has an end. It's not yeah. uh, like how many times have you made a list and didn't do all the things and then you get to the end and it's like, yeah. I didn't do all the things. Yeah. And I love this idea that at the end, if it came true, I'm going to give it back to the earth. And if it didn't come, first I'm going to crumble them so no neighbors are reading my leaves. And then if it didn't come true, I'm going to burn it and I'm going to set myself free. Yeah. Right? And say a little prayer and just ask for support from the universe or whatever, or just let myself off the hook. 
And I love that. This is why I love yearly themes instead of yearly resolutions. Because mm. I don't like rituals that are to-do lists in disguise. Mm -hmm. That is no good. Yeah. yeah. So that whole idea we were talking about where you just lay stuff down, right? You name mm -hmm. it, but it's a forward motion. I do remember you saying that in the service now that you've said it. Oh, sure. And I thought it was cool. I did. You weren't remember. looking at your phone. <laughs> I, w I actually, oh, I didn't look at my phone the whole time. Definitely not. I was a little bit terrified. I don't know if it was in coffee, tea, cat, dog hour, or if it was over in secret patron hour. One of the patrons, I don't think she said this in patron coffee hour. I think she said this in the main coffee hour, okay. said something that I just thought was revolutionary to my brain. And she talked about being like two weeks overdue or way overdue, pregnant with the baby and so frustrated. And everything was tomorrow I'll be in labor, tomorrow I'll be in labor. So she was sort of deferring life. Mm -hmm. And she talked about how one day she was like, you know what? I'm just going to live my life like I'm going to be pregnant forever. Oh, that was such a good idea. Life. Yeah. <laughs> and she talked about how with COVID, we keep thinking, and then when COVID's mm -hmm. gone, and then when COVID's gone, and we don't have any reason to believe COVID is going to be gone. <laughs> right. Or not completely gone, anyway. Yeah, it's going to fluctuate, but I think it is time to start deciding that we are going to figure out how we are going to live in this reality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My mom used to have this thing about back to normal. She was always waiting mm -hmm. for when things got back to normal. I can't wait till Christmas is over or till the kids go back to school or till, you know, dad goes back to work because when he's on vacation, <laughs> like, nothing is right. And that was that same kind of idea, right? That, yep. that you can't spend your life waiting for things to go back to normal because first of all, they never do. There is no normal. Yep. But also, we just have so much uncertainty. Like, that pregnancy story was really inspiring. Oh, I love it. I am one of those people who, I wouldn't use the phrasing back to normal, but I always will say, well, this week things are really busy, but next week, blah, 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 blah. And I feel like I'm going to start living my life next week after I tidy up these first few to-dos. Mm -hmm. Or when my house is this level of tidy, or when I've put all the light switches, I, the panels for the light switches are off of the light switches and have been since we moved in. Um, and I keep thinking, you know, I have these few things to do and then I'll go back to my life. But that's not how that works. Right. This is your life. My very favorite part of the of the worship service, I know you're deep and your part was the catharsis. I know. You you're too preachy. I am not deep. Some of the people <laughs> no, no, left because you're preachy. I, that's not what I was saying. No, you said actually, that earlier when the people weren't listening. I love that people, people have said to me, do you find it distracting when people leave in the middle of your Zoom service? I don't. I like that a lot, actually, because I want to provide something. It's sort of the same principle as the we are baptizing people in the pool. Mm -hmm. If you're going to go fairly deep or fairly far in a given direction, you're not going to be for everybody. Right. If you try to be for everybody, you're going to stay really shallow. And so to say we're headed in this direction, this is what we are doing. And if you're in a church service on a Sunday morning in a building, you can't say, ooh, I don't want this. I don't want this. I'm right? getting out of here. quite a statement. Not, not without <laughs> attracting a lot of attention. Right. Whereas in, and making quite a statement. Whereas in a Zoom service, you can be like, this is what we're doing. And then if you've got 250 people and 10 of them leave, that's fine. That means yeah. that you're headed in a specific direction and that's not for everybody. It's 240 people leaves, were in the right place. Exactly. So I love that people can leave in the middle of, your Zoom, of whatever we're doing on Zoom. I think that is great. That was, that a was great not cover. what I meant. Yeah, yeah. That one wasn't covered. I don't care. Carry on. <laughs> so what I was going to say was I loved the part in the beginning. That we had jokes at the beginning of the slideshow that were like half announcements, half jokes. And people didn't put their mutes on. And at one point <laughs> someone goes, she's reading the jokes and she goes, 
you're responsible for your own theology and your own mute button. Oh, honey, isn't that hilarious? <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite part because I'm not deep like you are. Because she didn't know how to work her mute button. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Do you have other favorite parts before I ask you about your life jacket? Hmm, you're not asking me about my life jacket. We know about my life jacket. I'm asking you about your life jacket for the opportunity to tell everyone that I was the one who told you that that was your life jacket. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just go there. Okay. Tell them about your life jacket. You already heard that in the beginning. My life jacket. Oh, uh, what didn't we hear? How did you come to that life jacket, Anne? <laughs> You're giving me the face. I am giving Liz the face. That's right. <laughs> Yes. If you come to our services, you'll get to see the face. It happens every time. <laughs> Pretty much start to finish. Pretty much. Um, so, yeah, for me, the life jacket is really about if everything fails or goes away or your people aren't available or whatever. Like, I know a lot of people say, you know, my partner is my life jacket because between the two of us, we hold each other up. That's great. But I've never felt like it makes sense to me for a people to be your life jacket. Yeah, I think yeah. it has to be something inside of me. Like if I was locked in a box somewhere, what's my life jacket? Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's just that, that idea of truth and truth as I understand it. I know, I don't mean capital T truth that everybody should believe in and I am right. I mean, what is the truth as I understand it? That you say the truth about what you feel. Yeah. When you are saying the thing you are supposed to say instead of the thing that you find to be true, you have like this smile that looks like a grimace and it looks like your soul is being eaten from the inside. Well, that's a helpful thought. <laughs> Isn't this the part where you were going to tell them that you knew? So, oh, right. So when Anne became a minister, she had me do the charge to the minister at the ordination, which is where you tell the minister what they need to remember or do for the ministerial journey. Which is a little weird because you're supposed to have a minister do that. And having someone who is not a minister tell you how to be a minister is a little strange. But I didn't know that that was weird. So I just went ahead. We like to make things up and not be like following of the rules. Well, and I knew you better. I didn't know ministry, but I knew you. And so that was my charge to the minister was don't work on being a good minister. Work on being a good Anne and always tell the truth. And I actually said, don't be a minister, be a good Anne. And you interpreted that as always tell the truth. So actually, I did not. Well, that's what that being up. a good Anne is. But, you know, you always right. take credit for all my good thoughts. So just go with <laughs> it. Yeah, yes, with Liz it. was the good. first person who said out loud, oh, you're going to be a minister. And then Liz was also the person who said, oh, be a good Anne, which is the same as the truth life jacket. So what is your life jacket? I think I am different than you in that. No. <laughs> in that you are attached to like a practice or an ethic or a way of being mm -hmm. for me when I am struggling it's I go back to a couple of very practical things what are those practical things uh the first thing I do is make sure I'm caught up on sleep the second thing I do <laughs> is make sure I have not eaten garbage <laughs> and then I go for a walk and 98% of the time sleep no garbage food in a walk solves that problem, which isn't really a spiritual thing. But often for me, when there is a problem, it is a biological problem. And walking makes a huge difference for me. That's one of the really important things that you taught me. So I tend to live from the neck up and I live in my head and I'm always thinking about ideas and I love epiphanies. They make me really happy. I love a good epiphany. And I've always wondered why they don't stick longer than epiphany day. 
And <laughs> I always thought when I when I got my thinking sorted out or, you know, I had enough counseling, everything would be okay. And you always taught me, like, if you just get your and you get a little exercise and you go for a walk, turns out you'll also be okay. Like just landing in my body. I think it's also very hard to solve things using your body when your knees don't work. Like, I think that's part of why you have to solve it with your head. But this, you taught me this. You can't go walk for three hours. You taught me this before my knees failed. You taught me this back in the whole, I thought I needed to heal my, my thinking and my psyche and stuff before I could be well in the world. And really, wellness comes from some pretty basic activities. (laughs) And that doesn't mean I'm not still stuck inside my brain with my psyche and my thoughts. But but that physical thing, like you taught me that, that was really important in my life to just sometimes you just need to go for a walk and reset. I don't have wellness that exists separately from my situation. Mm -hmm. If I'm going badly, I'm like a plant, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't say to your sunflower, just connect with your inner whatchamacallit your sunflower probably needs water fertilization or sun right those Mm -hmm. are three things i don't have that ability to reason through the things i just need to change my situation figure out what needs changing in my situation and do it so all the things all the things are really important i mean i do you did say something that mattered a minute ago about it's hard when your knees don't work and i know that when my mobility was poor figuring out how to get sunshine on my head and how mm-hmm. to be well mm-hmm. and how to move was tough. And that's improving now because I can walk more easily and more comfortably. But I had to learn how to get outside still, how to yeah. get fresh air. Like I could open the window and just like let the sun stream in and breathe. Okay, but I was going to ask you your word. Oh Remember? yeah, I need to think word? of one. <laughs> you lack spiritual depth because I already had a word. <laughs> I had a life jacket. My life jacket is more I profound. I three life jackets. I go for a nap Fuck and off. I go for... <laughs> Do you have your word yet? Now? How about now? Do you have your word now? <laughs> yes. And I'm going to tell a story and it's going to annoy you, but it's okay. <laughs> She's writing it down. What, are you not going to tell me your word? I think I might be a spiritual bully. <laughs> I'm going to technically adhere to spiritual consent, but I'm going to bug you while you're trying to think. Okay. What's your word? (laughs) For those of you who weren't listening to the outtakes, Liz has been bullying me for half an hour now about this. No, I'm going to put that in. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) My word this year is onward. Oh. And I'm picking it because things have been hard. Things are complicated. Things are messy. And it's easy for me to get stuck in the worry. And I need to remember to go onward. It's that forward motion thing we were talking about a few minutes ago, right? So I have a little story. Can I tell my little story? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) When you hear the awkward cut, Liz just finished explaining to me how you tell a story. So well, she told the story in like the out time when we were planning the thing. And then she told this watered down safe version of it. And I was like, I want that other story. And she's like, I can't tell that other story. So in the Canadian Unitarian Council, we're about to have a vote on the eighth principle. In 20 seconds, can you tell me what the eighth principle is if I'm not a Unitarian? The answer to that is no, she could not. Liz, the editor from the future here. 
and did not seem to feel that 20 seconds was enough time to sum up the entire religion coherently, and then I stepped in to help her, and then that got a lot worse. So... Unitarians don't all believe the same thing, so we have seven principles that we generally mostly sort of agree to affirm and promote. They are things like respect for the inherent way of existence and the inherent worth and dignity of every person. That's how you get worth and dignity. And there's a proposal to add an eighth principle that talks about actively dismantling racism and other oppressions. Now, back to real Liz and Anne. So there is, there's a lot of energy around it. And there's really a little, care about these principles. There's a little drama. We cannot say them from memory, but we care about them a lot. Exactly. <laughs> and so it can get hard and it can get frustrating and I can get a little stuck in my feelings, right? Back in the living above my neck <laughs> in my head. Mm -hmm. And Aaron and Amber at the CUC said something the other day that really inspired me. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's super simple and I'm sure they're not the first people who've ever said it. They said, the work is the work. And so whatever it is that you're doing no matter how other people feel about it, no matter how the vote goes, whatever it is we do, the work is the work. And we're doing the work mm -hmm. and we'll keep doing the work. And so mm -hmm. that word onward for me is about whatever it is that matters, whatever it is that you're trying to do, independent of all the things around you or that are impacting it, the work is the work and onward we mm -hmm. go. Do you remember in January when we did a big thing about what is our themes for the year and you and I both chose our themes that were our guiding compass that we would use to direct all of our actions throughout the entire rest of the year. Do you remember what your theme yes, was? Yes, I do. What was your My theme? My theme is, <laughs> is, create. <laughs> is. Create. Oh, I thought yours was just do the thing. <laughs> Oops, because no. I had this whole bit about how you've been doing well, it's, they, those. Well, they oh, are the shit. parallel. They are the parallel thing, right? It was... Uh -huh. <laughs> Good save. <laughs> it's a both and situation. That's what ministers say. In my little journal, I have a line for create every day that I track, you know, what did you create today? And so the do the thing is I'm trying to create. And I spend a lot of time living above my neck and, mm -hmm. <laughs> and thinking about it, but not um, actually doing it. So do the thing is the manifestation of create. But create is like freaking get out there and create stuff so that's like doing the work the work is the work. the work is the work amber actually gave me also a piece of wisdom that guided me for like a year mm -hmm. which was um she did a talk at a cc event where she said design beyond your capacity and then raise your capacity to meet your design mm. she gave that speech at the time when fougence had just made it to canada uh-huh um, and he was a minister in Burundi, but in order to be a minister in North America, you need to go through all kinds of credentialing that a refugee just can't afford to do any hoops. of that. Hoops. All the hoops. Yeah. Yeah. There's just no way. And Karen approached me in, in the conference and said, we're trying to figure out through many funding sources a way to give him the money he would need to do this credentialing. How much do you think you could do by crowdfunding? And I said, 25000 <laughs> and I said it with this look like I thought it through. Like I really mean it. <laughs> and she was like, oh, okay. And then she left to make the rest of the plan happen. And I thought, I have no idea. Like I've never raised 25000 before. I mean, there were some calculations that I did. Like I, I've been involved in a bunch of online fundraising campaigns. I had some idea, but I thought... I have no idea if I can pull this off at all. There and this is a, that's more than any Unitarian crowdfunding campaign had ever raised at that point. And I thought, 
what business do I have doing this? And then I thought, who else in Canadian Unitarianism is more qualified to run this campaign than me? And I was like, Nobody. oh, well, I'm the best choice. So <laughs> and you're the available choice. <laughs> I'm the available choice, the willing choice. There is and then that's when Amber said her thing about design above your capacity and then improve your capacity to reach the design. That was what carried me through that campaign. That is so good. And there is nothing like saying your aspiration out loud to force you into reach raising your capacity. <laughs> it's like, oh, Karen doesn't know I made this up. Oh, I'm pretty well, sure she does. <laughs> but she went with it. <laughs> what what other she had nobody else to choose who would be better. And there is something freeing in realizing you're the best option even if you're not enough, so you may as well. And you know, sometimes like we're the only option in our own lives. Yeah, right? I, I am the option in my life. So if I'm going to do stuff like I just need to make a plan and do my best. And what I yeah. get will be a lesson if it's not exactly what I hoped it would be. <laughs> it will be a learning experience. I will learn stuff. <laughs> Can I go off into a random tangent and talk about how my theme has been going? I wish you would. So mine was around, like, is. prepare the space for the thing. Is. Sorry. <laughs> but I'm accomplishing it. Mine is. It's not over till it's dead, you know. <laughs> or the end of the is year. There, is around preparation and setting the stage. So instead of saying, I'm going to, I don't know, eat well, I'm going to set things up so that I can eat well. Because mm -hmm. I have this saying in my head, which is self-discipline is empathy for your future self. That's so beautiful. I was focusing, Say that. Wait a minute. Slow down. Say that again. I have this saying, which is discipline is empathy for your future self. So if I'm eating well, I'm eating well because I want Liz a month from now to be happy and healthy and Liz this evening not to have indigestion. Right. Those kinds of things. Right. And so I have always known that I was going to have to quit sugar in order to be healthy because of the way my family's genetic relationship to sugar is. And so I thought if I quit it now when we're under quarantine and I can control my environment, then the withdrawal time will be better. So I quit sugar in April and I'm now in this situation where I don't even want it because I haven't had it in so long. That's great. But I've also been doing this preparation in all these other ways. Like I, I set up my morning routines to be a certain way and I set up this and I set up that and what's happened is I've had this shift in who I think of myself as so just like the year of guts where at the end I was like I have been acting like a brave person for a whole year I must be a brave person right I have come to this realization that I'm an exceptionally disciplined person oh good for you I have been acting like a person with tons and tons of discipline and the story has always been oh Liz she's impulsive she has no sense of delayed gratification blah 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 but it turns out I absolutely do you when just I'm need not to running choose around it. after four children in a crazy situation that I can't control. When I can control my environment, all of a sudden I am a person who's chosen all kinds of discipline. Mm. And so this is turning into the year in which I realize I am a disciplined person. And now I'm like, ooh, what am I going to spend my discipline on next? Yay! <laughs> Very exciting. <clears throat> I want to notice you said when I can control my environment, I am a very mm -hmm. disciplined person. And... That's been a big lesson for me in the preparation for getting knees and the exercises for keeping them limber and, and things is mm -hmm. that it took a lot of discipline to get to this moment. It takes a lot to keep me going, but um, controlling my environment really fed that, but I can't yep. always control my environment. But if you <laughs> have like 
the, if you've identified what's important to you and you do it in a routine fashion, then when you can't control your environment, you can still do your routine things. Yes. So you needed some control over your environment to establish the discipline, but once you've established it, you can hold it even when you have no control. My life right now feels like every day I'm waking up and I'm opening presents that were wrapped up for me by past me. Oh, and then I'm wrapping yes. up presents for future me. That's <laughs> so beautiful. I'm just, it is so powerful to have that person have gotten off me off sugar. And then I'm excited to think about what I'm going to give me in the future. I wish you could see Liz right now because her eyes are sparkly. <laughs> My eyes are always sparkly. No, your eyes are more sparkly. They got mushy sparkly. eyeball state. Yay. Whatever. <laughs> Don't wreck my happy passage. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Can you say that present thing again? My day. Sure. <laughs> My days now feel like I wake up and I unwrap a present that was wrapped for me by past me. And then I think about what present I want to wrap and make for future me. That's so beautiful. Let's end here. Okay. I'm Liz James. I'm Ann Barker. And we are so glad that you could join us. The poem that you heard earlier was Choice by Lynn Unger, who is one of my favorite poets who has incredible poetry on her website, lynnunger.com. I'll put a link in the description and you can also buy books of her poetry. And really, it's amazing stuff and totally worth checking out. You've been listening to The Cracked Cup with Liz James and Ann Barker. If you'd like to come to our next service, it will be October 27th on Zoom. Information will be in the show notes. This podcast was originally made possible by a grant from the UU Funding Panel, although these days it is made possible by our fantastic Patreon subscribers. If you believe in what we're creating here, the whole mirth and dignity stuff or just the podcast or whatever, and you want to be a part of a community of others who feel the same way, you might feel at home with that group. So each subscriber pays around $3 a month and then they're part of a smaller Facebook community we have that's really fun and there's perks like stickers and Zoom gatherings after the service and stuff like that. More details are in our show notes. Also, I don't usually mention this, but we have an email list. If you go to uuhystericalsociety.com, there's a fun store and there's worship materials and you can subscribe to our emails there. And do not worry, I have to write every email myself and I hate writing emails. <laughs> so I only send things out when something really valuable is going on. Like, seriously, I've had people complain to me that we do not send enough emails, so I will not be spamming you. Oh, and one more thing. The ritual that we used, the little talk that I gave and the song, if you are part of a congregation or some other worshipping community and you think that this would be a good ritual for your group, please forward them the podcast. We want people to use this stuff. We're putting together a video of me telling the story and instructions for the song, which Catherine says anybody can use. I'm going to have sheet music and everything, so groups can do it on Zoom if they want. Again, details in the show notes. The Cracked Cup is edited by Liz James and produced by Anne Wendyko, and our music is provided by Blue Dot Sessions. And this month, our music is also provided by the amazing Catherine Green. And also thank you to our singers, John Daniels and Anthony James and me. Thank you so much for joining us.